Hi, I'm Alex Petros and this is the Applied AI Pod. In this episode, we're joined by Praveen Palanisami and talk about deep reinforcement learning, intelligent vehicles, acquiring and using data in this space, and more. Praveen is Senior AI Engineer in Autonomous Systems, Microsoft AI and Research, working on developing the core end-to-end platform and services for real-world AI applications using simulation, reinforcement learning, and machine teaching. Prior to that, Praveen was an autonomous driving AI researcher at General Motors R&D in Michigan. He was also at the Robotics Institute, Carnegie Mellon University, where he worked on autonomous navigation, perception, and artificial intelligence. It's truly exciting to be joined in the show by uh, someone with experience developing complete autonomous robotic systems from scratch including software and hardware debugging skills to solve challenging practical problems. We're lucky to have Praveen join the show and talk about his contributions in the autonomous systems space. There's so much knowledge in this episode, so enjoy the talk. You're a force in the deep reinforcement learning space for intelligent vehicles. What are you truly excited about these days uh, when you think about uh, technology in intelligent vehicles today? Yeah, so... Intelligence is itself an exciting field, and especially how we can recreate human-level intelligence in solving the problems that exist in uh, most of the, the communities around us and the, during pandemic situations like the one that we are in. And those are some of the exciting things that always um, brings in new challenges and perspectives to approach and every day that's kind of the higher level or if you want to say as the long-term vision of uh, what keeps me active and working towards. We have seen a lot of reinforcement learning applied to chess or the game of Go. We've seen in particular computer vision is most commonly used with RL and some of the most common applications are game playing, robotics, control, operations, research, uh, and human-computer interaction. But when uh, do we apply DeepRL to, to the automotive industry? And um, from your perspective, some of the good use cases that we can uh, use with uh, RL? Yeah, so just with the given the nature of the automotive industry, where standard practices have been established and refined over and over, like over a long period of time, like decades, if not centuries, in companies like uh, General Motors, Ford, and even Daimler. So deep RL, deep reinforcement learning, and its application to the automotive industry is in a very nascent stages of development, given that uh, the standard practices have been established for a long period of time. I mean, over a long period of time. So while reinforcement learning has been studied for quite some time now, deep RL as a field itself is relatively new in the research community, but has been demonstrated to have a tremendous potential in the last five to six years. And as I mentioned, there have been breakthroughs in the game playing field, but that's the main field that got benefited from the development of uh, deep RL algorithms. So when it comes to hard real-time systems like uh, vehicles, applying reinforcement learning comes with big challenges and um, training and also even deploying autonomous agents that are powered by RL agents comes with a lot of challenges. So that being said, um, 
deep reinforcement learning can be applied to the automotive industry to address several aspects. So there are a lot of avenues where this can be applied. And um, when do we apply is, is a great question because there's so many factors that needs to be taken into account. And also those are very important and crucial because of the safety critical systems that exist in the automotive industry. So like some of the factors that uh, can help decide when to apply and where to apply are that, so whenever a problem requires um, writing rules, um, like if this, then that, then yeah, else. So those are scenarios where, for example, this can be in when you're developing autonomy for and deciding on the driving behaviors. So in an autonomous vehicle, you would want the vehicle to be intelligent enough to decide given a scenario. You would want it to decide whether it needs to stop, for example, approaching an intersection and uh, it's a stop sign intersection and uh, there are multiple leading in edges, then you would want to decide the right of way, even though you have stopped at the stop sign, there are right of way considerations that you need to decide. And since there are no humans involved, you'll have to somehow establish a pseudo eye contact type communication that you will have to let the vehicle make decisions on when it has the right of way to go. And those are scenarios where writing rules extensively is gonna be intractable, especially because given that there are so many variations of intersections, it could be a roundabout and it could be that the other person or the other vehicle is also not uh, driven by a person. So there's no sensing of a human and their eye gaze to determine like a pseudo right of way or like pseudo acknowledgement from the other user. So they, there are a lot of challenges like that, but given a scenario like that where you need to, if you were to program the vehicle to be able to make such autonomous decisions, then it would require writing of extensive set of rules, which is intractable. And so that kind of problem is something that deep RL or RL can be applied because we could train for such scenarios or variations of several variations of such scenarios, especially in simulation. And uh, the agent can then uh, take the context and then go through all the, there are several algorithms, RL algorithms, but generally they are trained in simulation with the majority of the situations that are expected to be encountered in the real world. And then the trained agent can some extent extrapolate between what it has learned before and then what it's seen at the moment. Hmm. What simulation platforms do you use? Um, it's definitely interesting the role of simulators in uh, training agents per se, but uh, what is the platform you use for the, the simulations or the synthetic environment created to, to imitate the world? Right, so this the choice of simulation platform is a very like a critical question too because when we're training our agents and we want to deploy those agents in the real world, then we need to make sure the simulation environment we use is 
kind of mimicking or representing things the way we would see in the real world. So, and depending on the problem space we define, in RL, there's the state space that we define to be kind of the inputs to the agents. And uh, depending on the problem, whether we are operating at the sensor level, where the input or the state space contains high dimensional data that includes camera images, ladder data point clouds, or radar hit points, and other sensor or sensing modalities. And if the agent need to operate at such a high dimensional state space, then we need to have a simulator that is that has high fidelity in terms of representing the environment and has high fidelity sensors that can capture images or pine clots at the resolution that is close to or on par with the real world sensors. So we have, or at least I, while I was a researcher at General Motors R&D, have been exploring with several uh, simulation platforms. Some are open source like Carla, um, backed by Intel. Mm -hmm. So Carla is an open source autonomous driving uh, platform. So that, that is underlying ha is powered by the Unreal Engine as a simulation. So that's a game engine, but has been adapted as much as possible to the automotive um, use cases by Carla. And so there are more, um, so there are other platforms like uh, VRS VTD, uh, virtual test drive, and um, Cognata that provides uh, even cloud-based simulation capabilities. And also Baidu's Apollo has some simulation capabilities that's more or less useful for uh, importing some real world data and then playback um, rather than actually simulating new scenarios. So on the simulation platform side, majority of the use cases um, require some level of sensor and the sensing models. So for use cases where sensing is important, especially camera-based or LiDAR-based, then platforms that have close to realistic and somewhat photorealistic rendering is preferred. And so people usually go either with Unity or Unreal Engine as the game engines. Um, so those are game engines. They have their own limitations when it comes to actual simulation for uh, especially real-time systems like um, autonomous driving. But the other options are writing custom rendering pipelines, shaders, which can get really complicated. So most of the automotive use cases today... Um, right. It sounds more efficient indeed. Even cost-efficient, data-efficient, everything. You know, data is an important aspect for training an autonomous vehicle. How do you do that uh, cost-effectively and accurately, if I may ask? And uh, how do you obtain the data inputted? And especially because data collection exclusively from the real world can only prepare the autonomous vehicle for what's already seen out there. So I presume you, you also have to think a lot of creating data through simulations. So percentage-wise, ballpark estimation, what's real and what's simulated from your current data, for example? Right. So depending on the problem space, so most of the perception like algorithms require data that is more labeled to the 
like the bounding box or pixel level if we're interested in segmentation. So bounding box labeling or pixel level segmentation labels or even LiDAR point cloud labels. Those are some of the labeling and the data that is useful for perception like tasks. So where we are interested in understanding the scene and um, describing the scene or estimating the status of what's in the environment, like the trajectories or predicted trajectories of vehicles, et cetera, and using those information to then feed an RL agent. But in the case of deep RL, where the perception is also inherent in the reinforcement learning algorithm, then we need a simulator to generate the data, especially because it's more of an active learning where the agent perceives the state um, from the simulator, and then it also needs to execute the action. So once, it, once the agent decides what action it's gonna take, it needs to execute that action and then receive the response from the environment for the action that it took. So when we have a data set that we typically use for perception-like tasks, where there are a bunch of images and the bounding boxes labeled or the pixels labeled, we can't really let the agent execute an action and then receive back a response that it would get based on the action it took. So that is the difference when it comes to the problem space we are dealing with and also the algorithmic approach, whether it's a supervised learning with labeled data or it is reinforcement learning where there are not labels, but there is a way of interacting with an environment and receiving some rewards in return. Right. So, and so the, when it comes to the perception algorithms, there are a lot of data sources like, uh, for example, Waymo has released their open data set, which has 3D bounding box labels, in both camera data and LiDAR data. And uh, they are all high dimensional, like 3D, seven degrees of freedom bounding boxes. And there's also new scenes data set, which is combined work from autonomy and the Aptiv. And it's like the ImageNet for autonomous driving, but even much more. They have about, 1.4 million 3D bounding boxes on uh, camera images. And uh, also they have 20 plus uh, labeled object classes. So those are the type of data that are open source and available to anybody um, for training. So that data is free, so it's cost effective. And uh, also has a lot of um, in information that we would need to train a perception stack. And, and there are also companies that offer services for labeled data. Scale.ai comes to my mind, but there are also um, understand.ai. They do like a different approach. So, so those are, there are some data services where we can take our own data collected from our own autonomous vehicle. So if a company has their own autonomous vehicle, they can, and they can collect data using their own sensor suite, and we want it to be labeled, then there are these labeling companies and services like Scale.ai, Hive, or Understand. Those can take the data and then annotate them using methods. They have their own like human-based labeling or even you know, automated labeling to an extent, and then human QA um, 
to make it more cost efficient or effective. And then, so that is for custom data that uh, the companies or startups or whoever is developing the autonomous driving technology can make use of to get the data labeled. And there are also these open source data sets which can be used um, to bootstrap the learning. So these can be the first source that anybody can go to. And then once they have trained their algorithms to extract as much as possible from these open source data sets, then they can move on to the custom data sets that they can collect off of the particular sensor suite that they deploy or use on their vehicles. So that's for the perception side of things, um, perception side of problems. And for the reinforcement learning side, where they want to interested in training agents, be it for developing driving policies or even actively sensing. Like for example, there are sensors that are articulated where you could actually steer uh, the sensor to focus on some regions in the um, scene. So you could control kind of the sensing region in for the sensor and uh, determining what kind of sensing you need for a given scene. And also if you want to uh, focus on a particular region, those are some decisions that you can formulate as a control problem and train an RL agent to do those control and for the sensors. So for that type of scenarios, you, and also for higher level uh, where you need to determine the driving behaviors using an RL agent, where you also need to perceive this environment and then use deep RL agents, then definitely a simulator is needed. And with simulated simulator, um, we discussed about some of the platforms one could use. And uh, the cost is actually negligible there. Um, it's more like one-time investment on the simulator, either as a product or developing or um, spending some resources to develop the simulator in-house. And once it is developed, it's more like you can extract as much data as you need. And um, the sensor models can be upgraded and the environments can be upgraded or new environments can be created depending on the operational domain of the autonomous vehicle that is needed. So we could go off, collect new data, or even have uh, 3D modelers build new environments for us. And then we can import that into the simulator and then let the cars or the agents actually train in those environments. So that becomes cost-effective in the long run. And also we could use um, the simulators to generate data. So to augment data and also to live train agents. And when it comes to the mix between the real world data and the simulated data, for tasks like the perception task, which is predominant in the autonomous driving uh, space when it comes to applications of deep learning, then the mix is use as much real data as you can, like whatever is available, either be it from the open source data sets or custom data sets that have been labeled. And the simulated data is something that's more or less infinite in source because you can generate uh, infinite amount of data given compute and time. So the simulated data is more 
used in a way to augment scenarios that usually doesn't happen on the road or is so rare that only a few occurrences can be captured when you have a real world data collection um, process. So it's like some kids um, running into the driveway suddenly or some small animals that are crossing the roads, which happens, which has happened in the, in the past. And so those are scenarios that are difficult to recreate, even if you wanted to in the real world or difficult to observe that frequently that you have some enough training data to train on. Mm-hmm. And those are real world scenarios. And you have this data and you train the agents. How do you evaluate what methods you use to evaluate the robustness of the solution? Yeah. So there are several, so that itself is a big line of research because in the end, it may be that uh, you have trained with the billions of hours in the simulation, and then you have um, petabytes of data, real world data, even labeled real world data that you have trained on. But then what really matters is uh, how much of the performance gain that any of it gave compared to what was deployed before. And so measuring that performance relative to what was the baseline is an important factor. So there is always a starting point. And then the evaluation suite usually is more evaluating the algorithms using standard uh, testing mechanisms that is customized based on each and every, for example, when we were doing it, we used to have some basic set of scenarios under which we wanted to make sure the agent performs as well as it needs to as a bare minimum. So we even had a rule-based agent that would uh, do drive as a human would. So because we programmed it, we programmed it with uh, behaviors that we wanted to demonstrate given such scenarios. And we have a basic um, a thousand scenario data set to call it because it's more like a reinforcement learning setting. It's more like a scenario. And so it's an active interplay between other agents. So there's a set of such uh, basic scenarios that we have as the baseline. And um, we want to make sure the agent that we train or upgrade using any of the data is at least meeting or exceeding the performance that is uh, demonstrated by the rule-based agent that we programmed. So, and the evaluation metric is more in terms of, there are several metrics. Some are inherent when it comes to automotive vehicles. So the the steering jitter and the jerk in the vehicle, and of course, collision and other um, destructions to the vehicle or any other object in the scene. So, and the, so those are some of the metrics we use in the reward mechanism. So when an agent, when the agent gets a reward for taking any action, the reward is based on all of these factors. And so reward can be used as one single metric to see how well the agent is performing. And so we, with the rule-based agent, we calculate the reward that the rule-based agent got in all of those base set of scenarios 
for example, the thousand baseline scenarios. And then we then, after we train the agent with the new set of data sets or in new simulation scenes, then we again run the agent through all of those scenarios. So these are running on the cloud, like deployed onto um, either on-premise servers or on Azure from Microsoft or AWS from Amazon. So these are large-scale simulations deployed in the cloud. Uh, it's more like a continuous integration, continuous deployment pipeline, but for autonomous systems and agents. So the agents run through, the new agents run through all of these scenarios and then we get a benchmarked score. So then we can compare these scores with the baseline with agent, which is the rule-based agent. And as we build more and more agents or more and more versions of the algorithms, we have a sequence or a series of um, performance plots from all of these agents. And reward plots are one good metric that can um, signify how much of an improvement we have got compared to the previous version. Right. You mentioned deployment, part of the challenges tackling uh, deep learning, but also solving a problem. There are various key challenges, algorithmically speaking, uh, when it comes to deployment in the real world for autonomous driving agents. Have you had experience with this or is there something that comes to your mind when we talk about this topic? So especially when it comes to deep RL, deploying this onto a real for example, in this case, the car is is a real hard problem in itself because unlike the traditional or rule-based algorithms, are, which are more deterministic, so you exactly can determine what will be the output given a set of inputs. But when it comes to learning these methods in general and deep RL in particular, where you want the agent to take an action, and then you're going to execute that action on the real platform. And in this case, the autonomous vehicle or the vehicle. So that comes with a whole lot of problems that needs to be addressed first before we even can actually test or even um, validate the performance of the agents. And there are lots of safety constraints that come up. And uh, in the automotive space, that is something really more critical because there's no room for any error. So the agent has to be always optimal and uh, which is unlikely because the sensor inputs are, it depends on the problem that uh, the agent is being used for. So, so when it comes to deployment of oral agents to real world applications like these, there are several challenges that come up and depending on the problem space, some can be critical that can be prohibitive in nature that we cannot deploy an agent without uh, safety mechanisms in place. For example, there can be a module that uh, sits on top of the agent actions and then sanitizes or filters the actions. So for example, if we are training an agent to control a car directly using a driving policy that is that is taking in the state inputs, it could be higher dimensional uh, representation of the scene or lower dimensional representation of the scene, like uh, locations of objects, traffic light signs, road signs, etc. And then the action that it generates is more the commands for driving a vehicle. So 
uh, in that case, we want to make sure the actions that are generated by the agent make sense almost 100% of the time. Because in safety, when it comes to safety in autonomous vehicles, it is more 99.9999% uh, we need to be reliable. And that guaranteeing that with an RL agent is, is like next to impossible at the moment. And so there are mechanisms where we could add in a safety module that uh, takes the actions generated by the agent and then streamlines it so that it is temporally consistent and uh, also within the limits and also can use other fallback uh, safety mechanisms like collision and braking and uh, radar sensing and other sound uh, object sensing information from the traditional sensor suite or approaches that can then be used to make sure that the action generated by the agent is within the allowable or permissible limits and then that's applied. So we did a minimal version of this, especially when we train agents. Um, we want to test it on vehicles. So there are um, limited locations. So of course, first step is to validate it in simulation. And then when it has to go out to the real world, there is a dedicated test track and uh, where the, the car is somewhat in a control environment first to make sure the new policy that has been generated is not too much. Um, I mean, sometimes the policy can do really well in all the scenarios, in the benchmarking scenarios that we use, and also in uh, new or novel scenarios in simulation. But when it's actually deployed into the vehicle, there can be a lot of differences. Could be due to the magnitudes of the inputs that were not normalized. Um, as per the normalization strategies used for during training. So even such small differences can lead to a large um, difference in the actual behavior of the vehicle. So those are some, like in the automotive space, that is gonna be really hard, but um, with the safety mechanisms in place, especially the safety wrapper on top of the agent, uh, it is feasible, but when it comes to other applications, like some other applications where, for example, we use an RL agent to optimize any web app or use an RL agent to take some action. For example, if it is an interactive web page and then we are kind of generating new pages or sections of the web page based on users past interactions on the same page. Like a few moments ago, if they were interested in some portion of the website, and then you can pop up a newsletter that you're writing based on the information that uh, you found the user to be more interested in. So those are things that where the agents are um, like okay to make a few mistakes and the, the mistakes are not critical. Because you don't deal with human's life. Uh, you simply deal with something that you display to a human. But the automotive industry is different. It's like you have a human in a car, so if you deploy that in the real world, things are very delicate. So the safety wrapper you were mentioning, yes, it should be mandatory. Uh, it should be a mandatory thing, and this is why it makes the whole job a, a lot more complicated. 
um, and this is why if we use technology, if we can reduce a bit the cycles, deployment, development, uh, the long-term benefit will be a good one on how fast you can get improvements because the automotive industry has a long history of long development cycles. Is that actually rapid development? And now I understand because you've walked us through the main challenges and it does indeed require quite a lot of capacity, resources, testing, evaluation, retesting, then deployment in a different environment in stages. Uh, this is certainly not an easy job. So this makes me ask, could startups ever use deep learning? Because uh, even the cost of developing with uh, deep learning is considerably high when you think of a startup that is bootstrapping or has a tight budget. Data access, you kind of painted it, that it's sort of okay, a startup could adventure in this direction, but then it's a thin capacity. Would startups ever be in a position to be at the forefront of uh, deep learning? Yeah, when it comes to startups, I think uh, the directions should be more based on what real value that they can uh, provide to the customers, especially when they use deep RL or especially when the same problem can be solved using other technologies. Because one thing is to use RL as a unique differentiation to actually provide the value, be it for the customers or even the business value. But the other thing is to use it because it is a buzzword that can attract more VC money or other intentions. So it really is a challenging task to incorporate deep RL into the products that the startups are building to provide actual value to customers. So that is the hard part that uh, startups should be more focused on because once they embark on this journey of uh, using RL for solving the problems, then there are so many challenges as you summarized and that needs to be first handled and all of that is going to be more resource intensive and uh, even the human capital uh, required to, for example, the algorithm designers or the developers that we need to even take a trained agent and then deploy it for the problem in hand needs a lot of specialization and expertise that uh, is costlier compared to other means of uh, like other algorithms that can be deployed to solve the same problem. So those are some considerations that needs to be taken. But once those things are like the startup goes in phases and then they are beyond this point where they have identified that using RL is the way that they can differentiate and provide value, both in terms of business as well as to customers. Then, and also once the capital requirements, especially the infrastructure costs with respect to RL, depending on the problem space, may not be that much because it can be recouped over a long period of time um, on which it can generate a return. For example, RL cannot be something that they use when uh, their traditional pipeline has been totally based on traditional approaches that they have been using. And for example, in a manufacturing pipeline or in a software business. So it is hard to take this as a replacement for something that has been already running efficiently. And it's rather more useful or more impactful in cases where the problem is really hard to be solved by any existing 
algorithm or like a rule-based system. And then RL is a way that this problem can be approached even. So it's more important to identify such problems rather than trying to use RL for something that has already been um, done efficiently using other methods. So it's not necessary to apply RL to everything, but it's more like uh, finding problems that will benefit a lot or, or even that can be made tractable, which are otherwise intractable. So those are identifying the scenarios and the problems where this can be applied and also identifying the real value that RL brings in and then identifying the resources that needs to be in place to make the RL deployment a, like a success is more important because once all of these are in place, then the startup is like heads on and definitely when all of these factors are met, RL has its own benefit and the potential is really huge, especially when you have figured out a problem that would benefit from RL and training that and improving the policies and then defining the pipeline to test and deploy would then become the core value and even the whole um, differentiation for the whole stuff. Nice. Then keeping uh, things in the same space, uh, my final curiosity would be, uh, you participated in the TechCrunch Disrupt San Francisco Hackathon and you also won it. Uh, should the engineers participate to hackathons more as an experience or a need to validate something? Uh, what's your feel taking the feedback you had from, from this hackathon? Should developers put the time aside for such a participation or, or not? Yeah, that's definitely. So when I think of hackathons, it's more like bringing in a lot of energy and then pouring it in um, in a very short period of time. So especially when it's at a large scale, like quality hackathons enable or provide such a platform where people from across the globe come together. During the pandemic situation, this can be virtual too, so which is also good. Um, so come together virtually or physically, and then they bring in a lot of ideas, different perspectives, different levels of energy, and doing it part of the hackathon-like setting makes it even more because there is like an inherent energy that uh, gets created when uh, there is a time and there is also like set of theme that is established, and all the people are thinking towards that aligned uh, goal of how do we achieve a lot more in the very less time? So they start to focus and think on things that we would not otherwise think. So even if it was the same problem that the people have been working on, they because of the nature of how they approach it, the end result or the process they go through can be different. And so when it comes to hackathons, they provide this platform where you are focused on something that needs to generate value on its own. And also there is a time limit. And then you are also with the like-minded set of people and they bring in their own different perspectives and energy. So all of these factors combined makes it like really a very useful experience to go through. And so going through a hackathon can be somewhat hectic if you want to think about it that way because there's really no limit to how much time 
one would spend on because the hackathons usually at least when i um, was doing the the current disrupt it was more long hours uh, all the three days not sure um, collectively maybe a few hours of sleep in between and then a few essential uh, things that went through but um, really it was high energy razor sharp focus on the thing that needs to be developed and also some hackathons are like broad where there are no specific theme that you need to limit to so you can come up with uh, ideas that uh, can be really broad and then you need to go figure out your teammates you need to go find people with the right uh, set of skills that are complementary to what you have so it's more like um, uh, an opportunity to work on a startup for a day or a few days and then develop your product and then pitch your product and kind of get the judges sold on it so you're basically doing whole like product lifecycle management and the startup management all in all in a day or a few days i've learned so much from praveen one lesson i'm walking away with how can i build my professional life in the life and excitement of a hackathon and Simulation platforms are democratizing access to data where we cannot have enough historical information. It's always inspiring seeing professionals have their contribution and doing it with passion and dedication. If you enjoyed the conversation, give your feedback by rating it or subscribe to the Applied AI Pod Show. Stay healthy, everyone.